you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Bought too many NFTs. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Patrick Claibon, and Greg Rosenthal. NFTs. Nailed it. This is not a group I feel like that that's true about or is overly um, invested in the NFT market, I would say. Wait, right is, this, now. is this call for another episode of Money on Money? Hit yeah. it, Ricky. No, I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, I think he would be the guy. Uh, but as, uh, as our capitalist class becomes more uh, intrigued by the idea, I recognize that for fear of future... Uh, consequences maybe i should keep my mouth shut regarding NFTs. smart <laughs> smart uh yes this is the first post draft edition of our show thank you for everybody who uh was loyal to the brand last week when we rolled out with five eps in the biggest of all spots uh and now uh we have claybon back which is great because claybon is claybon um but he's here for a specific reason because as per tradition, Greg Rosenthal, uh, this week is a good week to do a, a check-in on everybody, isn't it? It is. We always do the around the AFC and NFC in 48 minutes, three minutes per team. At one point, we changed it to two and a half minutes per team. I think we forgot about that. I don't know where that stands. Uh, but Claybon's <laughs> a veteran of this. I didn't even have to tell him the rules because he's, he's, he's done it many times for whatever reason. I, right. I just, uh, yeah, I look forward to the opportunity. Uh, I got, I got the text late night. Uh, well, late for me, like as a <laughs> yeah, washed parent of two from from Dan, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready for this. I mean, I know that when I'm hoping to get late night texts, surprise texts, <laughs> what I wanted to be is you are on a show tomorrow that requires a ton of research. Get to bed, wake up early, and get your act together because we air at eleven. My favorite uh, Mark texts are the one that come, the ones that come at like three a.m. and it's a uh, URL to a St. Vincent song or something uh, that's Saint a real a woozy banger. Three in the morning, that's that. a little aggressive. I so Or like four in the morning, and it's like, why is this person tweeting this? Just mute, just mute them, Mark. You know, that you can save yourself. I don't have um, sleeping patterns that match up with, A, anyone in my house or most people that yeah, I know. But I, I try not to break code by hitting you with too many texts at four in the morning. I... If that's happening too often, I need to check myself at the door. Where are we with your your sleep cycle right now? Because and as you're saying, that is an issue uh, uh, for you, unfortunately. How many hours of sleep would you estimate you get on average per night? A four. Okay. Mm-hmm. But not I'm, great. It's not, not great, great, but I kind of am, you, you kind of get used to it. You know, it's yeah. like if it's six or something, um, you feel lucky, but about four. But mixed with periods of sitting alone in the house in total, not alone, but total silence for another four. And between those four, it's not four in a row. So, oh, my God. Could I be more productive during that time? Yes, I do nothing. Just sitting there. It explains a lot. It explains a lot. 
Um, I'm, I'm right. worried. I'm, I'm actually concerned for you, Mark. That sucks. Well, that's just the beginning of the issues. Um, all right. So, yes. I, you know, I know we did drop down to two and a half, Greg, but that just isn't, it doesn't have the no. same pop as three minutes. No. Three minutes is a nice That was like a preseason one or something. That, forget that nonsense. And what happens is, and it happens every year, we come out of our two draft shows and, and people get a little snippy that their team didn't get the love. Well, these next two shows, every team in the NFL gets their due. And by the way, one rule uh, that's kind of was an unofficial type rule. It's like how they changed the rule with the uh, official being able to help out the guys on the field, the guy in the eye in the sky. Uh, we're going to add three timeouts. If at any, and, and you have to be good with time management here. It's for the whole show. We all have to work together. If you have to stop the clock for any reason, whether you need to share something unrelated to a team or if there's something that you really just need to get out there, Ricky, this involves you as well. Call timeout. And then um, that stops the clock. I, I don't know if we have any Andy Reid time managers here. Like, who's the best at time management in the NFL, by the way? Who's the guy that's uh, seen as the best? Is there somebody out there that's... Belichick? Besides Greg Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah I think certainly is up there. I think it's Belichick because he's kind of free from criticism. It's like, if Bill does mess something up, then everybody's like, oh, he did that for a reason. Right. It's this wily <laughs> right. man. Har- you know who's good? Yeah. Harbaugh's good. Harbaugh's good. Right. Uh, Wait, we all, right. all we each have three timeouts, or like suddenly no, Greg's use no. burn two timeouts. Wait, we, yeah, we're sharing them as the a team, so someone someone could just jack up three timeouts in the first like two minutes. You're saying I'm going to be exactly. honest. I'm going to be yeah. reluctant to use a timeout and yeah. deprive one of you guys of it because I would like it to be one of the other one's fault if yes. another person doesn't get a timeout. We're so in I this together. Not, <laughs> I will not use one. I will say that uh, right now. <laughs> Mark, if there were 15 timeouts in this exercise, that would be potentially uh, an issue. So we're just three total for the five of us. Think about it, but be smart. All right. Now, we're doing AFC today, Thursday, NFC, with another special guest. Mm. But right now, the only guest that matters is the great Patrick Claiborne. Not really a guest either. Kind of an unofficial hero. Um, Let's get to it. Starting with the AFC East. Ricky, you know the rules. you got to hold us to the clock. And nobody goes beyond the three minutes. There's an honor system here, okay? It's about honor. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills. Start the clock, Ricky. Mark Sessler. You know, I think the journey of the Bills is is super fascinating. Like two years ago, uh, we were wondering, when will they get past the New England Patriots? Bill Belichick and Vershawn McDermott, when will they get over that? Last year, at this time, it was like, yeah, we like the Bills, but half of us don't trust Josh Allen. Like, He's, he can't get it all done. He's an incomplete quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. He, he basically answered all those questions last year. The Bills were 13-3, and three, dominating everyone. Um, I thought they had a good draft. They left a few things out there maybe to do. But for me, these are one of these teams where I say, I would just ticket them for the AFC title game, barring an unforeseen disaster. Is it that easy? Or can you guys, I'm looking to you guys to pick out something about the Bills that still concerns you? Or are we just completely fine with the Bills at this point? I think the Bills are locked and loaded here. I mean, they they did uh, they did the move a similar mark to your Brownies, where they've built up such a strong roster that they were able to focus on a specific area need. And for them, it was the pass rush. And they go and add Gregory Rousseau, uh, Rousseau excuse me, thirtieth overall, Carlos Basham Jr. at sixty one, which uh, people really liked. They need those guys though to step up because uh, Greg pass rush was an issue. Yeah, they didn't have that great a front seven. They need their recent draft picks, Ed Oliver and Terrell um, Edmonds, to show up. 
and Tremaine Edmonds, rather, not his, not his brother on the Steelers, they had to take those passers because they haven't had any juice. It, it kind of made them look better when you watched in the Super Bowl what the Bucks did to the Chiefs' offensive line and thought, like, in Sean McDermott's dreams, if he had the 2018 Bills or the 2019 Bills, perhaps their defense wouldn't have gotten steamrolled and would have taken advantage. Yes, Eric Fisher was on the field for most of that game, but that's one guy. The Bucks' defense dominated throughout up front, and the Bills just didn't have that right now. I'm not ticketing them for the AFC Championship because this is the NFL. It is the hardest thing to do in the NFL to back up elite seasons, and I think that's where Josh Allen has to um, show that he's going to maintain his gains. When you jump that high in one season... I do want to see him do it like at that level again. I don't think we can just assume that. And I think we believe so much in the offense because of the playmakers, right? Josh Allen is is a he's a play waiting to happen every time, and him and Stephon Diggs, we we saw we believe in all that. But it, it as you guys mentioned, it doesn't exist on the defense. And, and I think in Boogie Basham, right, uh, you get a, a solid player. Uh, you get that Sean McDermott type you know, holdover from Carolina type. He's going Boogie Basham officially, by the way, like on NFL.com. That's the name that links up now is Boogie. So he, he's changing it from Carlos to Boogie. I love it. 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 It's a good name, but I think Russo is, is right. The the guy that you're looking for, the upside guy uh, to hopefully make a play. Cause as Greg mentioned, like if you don't have defensive playmakers, eventually you're just like, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to lose the game. Four, three, two, one. Bill's mafia. Jump through a table. (laughs) Patrick Claybun, the Miami Dolphins. All right, let's do it. Um, the Miami Dolphins. I hope uh, there's no trouble uh, with, with using this particular uh, audio. I'm sure uh, the we have, right. Dolphins, uh, have gone through uh, uh, a far amount of question answering this offseason. I think we've seen what they prioritize. They, they get Will Fuller uh, early on in free agency, Jalen Waddell in, in the draft. Um, so they, they, they're prioritizing speed. Uh, we, we saw them trade down, so they believe in Tua. We see their whole draft strategy, but but I think there's one thing that we haven't seen, um, and that's an answer to the question. In all this discussion about Tua and the weapons and the offense, the protection, uh, we still don't know who's going to be calling the plays on offense uh, <laughs> in Miami. Like, Studesville and Godsey are co-offensive coordinators. Flores has said they'll develop a plan during the week, but that kind of runs in contrast to, like, the league where – it seems like the entire plane is being built out of play callers, and it like dictates uh, the entire direction of regimes around the league is, is being dictated by one man calling the play. So I wanted to ask you guys, do you think a team can, without one firm voice ultimately answer, making the decisions in play calling, do you think that can work? And do mm. you think that's a solid strategy for a young quarterback? I would say this, like there's a reason that there's only one co-offensive coordinator set up in the NFL right now. You're in a division with Brian Dayball, Josh McDaniels, Mike LaFleur. I mean, these are three premier play callers who have completely changed their teams and the quarterbacks around them. And you, you, ha- you have more hope in someone like Zach Wilson because he's attached to a Mike LaFleur offense. So yeah, uh, with the Dolphins, I think that's sort of a burning question mark. I mean, I trust coaches to be able to like organize during the week, but Really, what separates some of these teams? Like, why do we love a Kyle Shanahan? Because they talk about being one of the best in-game play callers around. It's like, do the Dolphins have that? Uh, right now, we don't know. I- I'd veer towards no. Right. I mean, it's been done before by Flores' boss. And, you know, that's p- partly why I think he's not worrying about the titles. There probably will be a guy. I mean, Josh Boyer, who was with the Dolphins, was 
a co-offensive coordinator, one of the greatest offenses of all time, the 2010 Patriots in terms of production. They didn't have an offensive coordinator. But that's Belichick, and that's Tom Brady. Like, I, I'm totally with you. Like, this is a young quarterback who really is going to be asked to do a lot. Think about these receivers. Waddle, Parker, Fuller. Those are like bombs away receivers. Tua was like a little hesitant to go down the field. It's so many young players. The offensive line's young. The receivers are young. Like everyone's young on this team. And you're right. That's that's a major question mark because Flores has not found a coordinator he believes in because he changes it every year. I'm, I'm not feeling this Brangelina setup to uh, <laughs> offensive coordinator in Miami. And yeah, I think you need to have real structure in place and and you got to know who's who's the bottom line guy who's in charge of this offense especially with a young quarterback because this is not tom brady but yeah i do like overall what the dolphins did on offense they really did put two in in position here to take a jump but there's got to be structure the new england patriots with greg rosenthal Oh, yeah. I'm glad I get to talk about the Patriots. You know, what would a podcast be without the Patriots, Jets, and Browns? We guarantee they won't be on Thursday show. I well, am we really. Got three timeouts. Ex- <laughs> it's true. Uh, I was, you know, taken by the aggressiveness of the rest of the draft after Mac Jones. I think that got slept on nationally that they take Christian Barmore. They trade up for him in the second round. A guy the PFF had in, in their top 15 but was kind of an inconsistent effort guy, yet absolutely took over in the playoffs, uh, the National Collegiate Playoffs, and was probably the best player on the field defensively, you know, in the championship. And then uh, with their next pick, Ronnie Perkins, a guy who was suspended, DJ had him in the top 50, uh, but he falls to 96, maybe because of that suspension. And then in their next pick, they take another guy who was suspended half the season, who was Ronnie Perkins' teammate. And it just gets me thinking, this is very much like a, DGAF offseason for Bill Belichick. He has taken swings. I think they needed it on defense. They've made so many changes on defense. They needed some guys that could potentially uh, make a big difference. I think he he feels confident in Barmer because, you know, he talks to Nick Saban about that. And they're definitely, like, it's the biggest boomer bust draft to me in the league. And I, I think Mac Jones is boomer bust, too. I know, like, some people think he's going to be, like, a safe safe guy i i don't know like either he's not going to have the skill set to do it or you could see him being a top 10 quarterback and to me that that's boomer bust it's a boomer bust offseason i mean listen trevor lawrence is as safe a prospect that's coming to the league in a decade and he's on a and to a certain degree a boomer bust guy all these guys can bust out that's just you look at the history of our league i think the quarterback room is really interesting here jared stidham is obviously an afterthought now and what 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 a lot of wasted breath last year talking about that guy. Um, best luck to him going forward. But Matt jo- Mac Jones. Best and- of luck to the guy I just assassinated <laughs> publicly. Hey, listen, they don't like him. Mac Jones. Well, that two, those two minutes go fast. I'm sorry for honking so much. Oh, my uh, God. Mac Jones and Cam Newton. That feels like a great camp battle. I wonder if uh, Jones is going to get a chance to win this thing in week one. It's interesting. I heard like Mike Lombardi say that Cam Newton is your week one starter unless Mac Jones to the visible to the eye of everyone on the Patriots uh, roster, completely blew him away in camp. And I think that's just the way you go. But, you know, it's less boomer bust when you pick Mac Jones at 15 versus trading up for him. I mean, it took some of the heat off of that. And I don't agree with the DGAF aspect of Bill Belichick. I think he does GAF DGAFs. quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're doing all this. Yeah, if if you're not in this to win it, right, if you're not trying to win and making aggressive moves, then, then what's the point? And we've seen them 
uh, kind of be able to rest on the fact that they had the greatest and the best uh, quarterback of all time uh, for so long. Uh, and they don't anymore. So it's, it's They time. went from one of the worst rosters in the league to now an average one, I think. I think that's what they did this off. I think Bill RGAFs. He really gives up. <laughs> Was that plural? Fs? <laughs> uh, the New York Jets. Okay, so... Everyone associated with the organization is super pumped up about Zach Wilson, the Mormon Mahomes, what have you, all that. And maybe he'll be great or maybe he'll be bad. We'll see. There's no there's no sense really digging in whether you like or, or hate the pick or whatever. We're going to have to see. We'll see if he can play the guitar. But I do have one issue I'm concerned about. Now, let's look at the five first-round picks quickly, quarterbacks, okay? Um, we just mentioned Mac Jones. Cam Newton's in the building there. Um, Justin Fields. Andy Dalton's in that building. Trevor Lawrence. Mean Shoe is in that building. Zach Wilson, James Morgan, and Mike White. Should the Jets have a little bit more uh, thought to maybe we have a veteran guy in here and we could ease in Zach? Or are they so excited about this guy's potential, just throw him out there and let him learn on the fly? I kind of wouldn't mind if there was somebody with a little more experience in the depth chart. I don't why? know. Yeah, well, I, I'd, why? I'd, I'd throw him out there because like, Number two overall, I think he's got a much better environment around him than I understand maybe your um, Jets fan um, minor panic over the idea of that. Um, But this is a different situation than previous Jets quarterbacks. He's got a lot more help around him. I trust the coaching staff. I think it's one of these situations where you're going to put him on the bench behind like a Joe Flacco 3.0. I mean, they're going to want to see him by the end of the first game. Jets fans will be going crazy. Everything's changed. I roll with him from day one. I, I haven't seen any evidence to the number of years that I've, I've felt this way that somebody can get better by not doing something. Like, I, I just don't think that it works out. Perhaps, right, Jets faithful would lose faith in, in Zach Wilson if they see him play poorly. That doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the football player. I, I think if you want him to be good at football, then he needs to play football. I'll, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example. Last year, Tua was a little bit underwater. And the coaching staff said, we have this back of Ryan Fitzpatrick that we like. We're going to let this kid sit. We're going to keep Fitzpatrick in the mix. Give him a chance to play. Keep us in a season if they're contending. And then Tua can learn and maybe grow from it. Uh, That probably is not going to be the case here if if Wilson struggles as a rookie. And that can happen. Those guys aren't out there now. So it's too late. I'm with you. They They could upgrade their backup quarterback position. Like, it wouldn't hurt to sign Matt Barkley. I was just looking at the free agent quarterback. Just, like, someone better than those two guys in case Zach Wilson gets injured and maybe can give him some pointers about, you know, which clubs to go to in New York or whatever. But that's about (laughs) it. Yeah. I I should mention also Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. So every one of these rookies coming in has an established guy. The Jets are an outlier. I don't like when the Jets are an outlier because usually that means (laughs) they're doing something wrong. I don't think that if we're using the two example, that Tua is a better football player if he didn't play last year. He might be better being around Fitzpatrick, though. I do think there's something there. Like, Minshew's not helping out Trevor Lawrence in the same way that having a guy that's been around for so long does. The AFC North begins with Mark Sessler and the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, look, so... A lot of people talk about, you need to know who you are. We need to know who you are by year three of a program. And I'll just look at the inside the AFC North. Three years into his reign, Mike Tomlin had already won a Super Bowl, okay? 
John Harbaugh was 32-16 and 16 as Baltimore's coach. Kevin Stefanski, one year in, takes the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in like a thousand eons. So, I mean, you want to see results. It's not, it's not too much to ask. I look at Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. He had a tough situation out of the gate. Um, I think the two years he's been there, they have been ravaged by injuries. You lost your quarterback. Everything goes south at that point. But right now, look at this offense. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Right Woo. on defense, DJ Reader. They're going to get a full season from him. Trey Hendrickson. This is a pretty interesting, good roster that's just ticketed for fourth place because they're in the AFC North. Um, I look at this team and think if they were in the AFC South, you'd wonder if they could compete for a division title if Burrow is who you think he is. And I, we saw evidence of that. So what is an appropriate, um, when you look at Zach Taylor, an appropriate ask for this year? Can they go like a soft 5-12 and 12 and no one says anything about it. I think the, the, it needs to be higher. We need to see results because, again, we're three years into this experiment with someone who was ticketed as someone to come in and be kind of a Sean McVay for the Bengals. Not happened yet. Yeah, six or seven wins I think is fair. I think if Joe Burrow is balling out and the offense is good, that's all Zach Taylor needs. The, the defense, they've been rolling out Lou Onorumo every year. No one even knows this guy, the defensive coordinator. It hasn't played well. They're okay. They've yeah, got okay. Albano, I believe. Right. They've got yeah. okay personnel. I wouldn't say they're average even uh, <laughs> personnel. So I think Burrow's the biggest question. I think people are just expecting him. It's like to make a leap when you're coming off a torn ACL. And he was a little up and down because the situation was tougher uh, than I think people realize because he made a lot of splash plays and showed a lot of potential. That's not easy. He's coming off a torn ACL. And if he struggles a little bit, then the the heat's going to go on Taylor. And I I was one of the chorus of people that said, take the offensive lineman, take the uh, Sewell, this Oregon stud, and and protect Joe Burrow. But ultimately, how mad can you get if you end up with Jamar Chase, um, this LSU guy who could be a superstar and could put up video game numbers for 10 years. And by the way, to Greg's point, according to Next Gen Stats, Cincinnati had just 15 completions of 20 or more air yards last year. That ranked 26th in the NFL. Burrow, of course, got hurt and missed the last five or so weeks, but they weren't lighting it up downfield with Burrow either. That's going to help. So this is a team, and I'm with you, Mark, your big point, which is we need to see progress right. for this uh, for and this the, coaching regime. And there's questions, right, about that deep passing, whether that's Joe Burrow's arm or whether that's the offense or the circumstances. But Ten, I think, right, nine, Greg mentioned Lou Anarumo. They couldn't find anybody to be the defensive coordinator. It just wound up being Luana Rumo. It's like their seventh choice. Yeah, and and they've they've been terrible for three years. Yeah, that speaks to the idea of hiring a coach that has connections, which the Bengals coach did not. All right. Grow out a beard. Call time out. Grow out the beard. I mean, if you want to to be – if you really want to um, establish yourself, if you feel like you're a no-name in the coordinator ranks, change your look. And right. um, and do the if if you kind of your name sounds like Captain Lou Albano and most of America at this point is too young to know who he was, just steal Lou Albano's bit. Rest in peace. Grow out the beard. Punch. Put a bunch of rubber bands and shit into it. And uh, guess what? The camera's gonna find you. I think that was an appropriate use of a timeout because if Lou Anaramo slash Albano is uh, <laughs> watching or listening to this. Uh, you've, ch- you've, you've changed the course of his career if he were to take your advice. It's the only way he moves out of total anonymity um, into someone that becomes sort of a cultural flashpoint. I thought, I thought Dan had pre-planned bits for the timeout, so I wasn't going to take them either. So no, I, this of course is good not. to know. This is just 
this is just flying. I We're, don't, okay. uh, Greg. I don't do pre-planned bits on this show <laughs> ever. Um, Cindy Lauper, who was the, the, one of the biggest pop stars of the '80s, that's Captain Lou. Got into her video for uh, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." We could get the Bengals DC into like a Billie Eilish single um, uh, video. If if he plays his cards right, just put some rubber bands. It's a very natural fit beard. between that coach and that performer. I, I just I see a lot of linkage. <laughs> All right, uh, time in. <laughs> I uh, love the investment in, in a timeout in Luana Rumo. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Cleveland Browns, Patrick Claybon. Yes, uh, the Browns, uh, spectacular. I, I was honored to uh, to actually voice the weather warning videos for the NFL experience this year at the draft. So it was rewarding to know that the people of Cleveland, if they were to take shelter due to some sort of like lake effect calamity, it would be my voice leading them the way. Uh, oh, there's, other, there, there's other That's calming awesome. voices. Yeah, it, we had hurricanes, tornadoes, meteors. Anyway, but there's like other calming voices in Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. Uh, thanks in, in part, large the part. People in Cleveland are like, did did Obama just tell us to seek shelter? <laughs> Seek shelter immediately. I'm hurt. Um, but yeah, like thanks to some holdover picks from the previous regime, right? And, and these uh, two men, like they, they weren't even picking until 26 last week, and the picks were the picks were universally appreciated, right? And so uh, there's so much faith uh, in the brain trust, but they just picked up uh, the fifth year option for Baker Mayfield, and, and we live in a world where people believe in uh, this concept of quarterback wins. And I wonder who's best for the long-term livelihood if you had to choose of this Browns rebirth, uh, Baker Mayfield or the Brain Trust in Cleveland? Oh, wow. Mark? I, I mean, look at I think Baker Mayfield has been a good quarterback, but if you take away the Brain Trust and what Andrew Barry has done um, and Kevin Stefanski, I mean, you know, Jet, you, you bring up the Jets, Dan, and like concern about how to deal with a young quarterback. I mean, Browns fans have watched terrible game day coaching for 20-plus years. Um, and typically a coach that's like infighting with a general manager who also is not good at making picks on draft day. So, you know, I, I can see the tangible difference between what was and what is. And uh, I would have to side with management. Um, mm. I would just because like to, to find a good coach and general manager that get along, that's your ticket. That's invaluable. It's not a knock on Baker Mayfield. But if you're asking me to pick between one or the other, uh, you don't remove all can that I, infrastructure. Can I throw something out just as random and dumb and fun? Uh, Packers asked for three first-round picks and Baker for Aaron Rodgers. Do you take it? T-minus one no. minute. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I would. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Rodgers, is, you would. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is so much better, and I, you just said you trust the management. The management's going to know how to use those picks. I think Patrick... Imagine Preston this game got, with Aaron Rodgers. Right, got to where we, where we are with, with Baker Mayfield at this point in time, so it's a good way to get there, which is... You know, I, he maybe is more of a function of the offense in the management because most great quarterbacks, you would never say management. You know, you, you just wouldn't. And for right now, because of what Stefanski did, I trust it because Baker and this team thought they were hot stuff the last time they finished strong when they finished seven and eight. They did not handle that hype well. We'll see how they do it this time. I think because the the Andrew Barry's there, you have more faith in it. I mean, look, maybe I would do that trade. It's just like I, I don't want it, everything to be turned into this like Eight, Baker Mayfield's seven, the problem. He six, was actually quite good five, for them last year four, and deserved the fifth year option. Two, yes. One. I'm with you. I think the Browns are going to be awesome. It's going to be fun, Mark. We'll see. The Baltimore Ravens, uh, Greg Rosenthal. The, the Ravens are so good at like working their rookies in slowly, not needing them right away. And I don't I don't know if they can afford to do that this year. They draft Rashad Bateman. I feel like he has to play right away. 
Uh, they drafted uh, Odafe Owe, um, whose name was Jason. So if any confusion there, the number 31 pick. And, like, they've been in the middle of the pack in terms of sacks in back-to-back years. They definitely haven't had juice on the outside. I'm not counting on Sammy Watkins to, to give Lamar kind of what he needs. So I like I feel like these guys got to play right away. They don't have many great-looking pass rushers. With Bateman, you're the biggest Lamar uh, fan in the room, Clay Bond. Like, do you think they give they gave Lamar enough this offseason? That's like, saying something with Greg here. Yeah, it's – the fact that uh, they get somebody who can track a ball in, in the air and make a play on it, I, I love that. I, I love that that's Lamar. We, we ran uh, during some discussion because Bucky Brooks had brought up this absurd idea that the Ravens would give up on Lamar and you know go college plan for, for quarterbacks and just keep rotating them. And I pointed out that during the highlights, he's throwing to Des Bryant's corpse as well as like Brandon Boykin. It's so right. like if that's the if that's the receiver highlights, then then perhaps hey, good luck to whoever that that up and coming quarterback is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I know that hurt me. you to say because you were a Des guy back in the day too. So that was yeah, I, I mean, well, now rest, he's dead. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's uh, it, it, I wouldn't say that if he didn't have some some horrible tweets here in the past few years. But but honestly, like it's um, <laughs> I, I I believe in it because I believe in Lamar, and so give him somebody that can make a play on the football and and run to it when it's in the air, and also snap Lamar the ball. I think that would help a, a lot. I think it's it's notable that Greg Roman was on record saying that with Bateman there and the other wideout they took like. We can expand our passing game like that. Is, I and I don't think you're going to get this Ravens team that dr- changes drastically on offense. If you looked at who they drafted, I mean, it's more power, it's more run, it's all that stuff. But I mean, Roman at least understands that you can't do what happened last year over and over. They've got to expand the air attack, and I think Bateman was a perfect pick for that. And they were repeatedly rebuffed uh, in free agency in their attempts to upgrade at wide receiver. So I, I like that they said, okay, we're going to take control of this process using the draft to do that and. Uh, we had Nate Tice on on our show a couple weeks back. He was singing Rashad Bateman's praises, um, even though a lot of mocks didn't have him in the first round. Um, the Ravens saw value there, and then Tylen Wallace at in round four. Uh, he's in the mix there as well. It's unbelievable um, that they had one thousand seven hundred twenty nine yards on passes to wide receiver in twenty twenty. That just got to be better. I mean, I don't know if you you can't win the Super Bowl unless Sammy you could have help weapons. him. Maybe, Sammy could but help this them. It's why, a boomer bust. But yeah, Bateman's such an important pick for them, and it was such a no-brainer because you just can't trust Sammy Watkins. He just Ten, can't stay on the field. Nine, eight, and Greg Roman bears seven, some blame in this as well. Six, uh, sure, I think he gets five, universal credit for four, his otherworldly talented quarterback, two, but at some point, one. maybe it's you. Mm. Mm. Reminder, we have two timeouts remaining. I think there's distinct pressure on the, the three of us who are, not, who are not Dan to know when and how to use a timeout. But. Well, we're all working together here. All right, up next, Greg Rosenthal. No, excuse me. Went. Up next, the old Zeuser. Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Um, bit of a high wire act here in Pittsburgh, huh? I was saying that they should <laughs> seriously consider getting in that quarterback mix. Uh, which is not a quote-unquote Steelers thing to do. And to type, they didn't do that. They go and get Najee Harris at running back, and maybe he's a star, and that would be good for the offense. But this just feels like the Steelers are a circus act on a high wire uh, with a old quarterback that showed signs of slippage slash falling off a cliff late last season, and then an offensive line that continues to loom as a question mark because they didn't hit that hard either. Are the Steelers the biggest... Boomer bust property in the AFC. 
I'll buy that because they're so thin at the like the premium positions. They are not an analytics type of team. You look at their tackles, it's Okorafor right now, Chike Okorafor, and, and Zach Banner are their two tackles. Their cornerbacks, I would say, are the next thinnest position on their team. And like those are the premium positions. Those are the ones that's like, use your draft capital on that, and they don't have it right now. They're, and they're putting a lot of faith in those two tackles and probably a starting rookie center for a team that has not coached up the offensive line well since Mike Munchak left a couple of years ago. I mean, like an Alejandro Villanueva signed with the Ravens. And it's like their old tackle is going and filling holes for their biggest rivals. So it's, you know, that's problematic. Uh, I think the boomer bust aspect too is like, was the Big Ben fall off a cliff act like something that was a bit of an aberration? He can still play and we're going to get a fresh version of him uh, or, or not. Or does that decline continue? Um, it, which means by week eight, you're in hot water. I mean, the one thing I would say that Najee Harris, their scouts saying he is the most complete back they've had under Mike Tomlin. And they, and they said more than Le'Veon Bell. So I, I get Whoa. that you'd want to have the offensive line stronger, Whoa. but like... Does anybody remember Le'Veon Bell at his peak? <laughs> Was there a more complete back that we've right. seen in but 20 I, this years? Is coming from Literally scout, one of the... Like, I would I get, put him in the top three running backs of the last 20 years in terms of at his peak, Le'Veon Bell. Just saying. I'm with you. Dan. It's difficult to, to get that comp for Najee, right? Because it, it's 6'2", 6'3", at that size, moving with his feet, right? Le'Veon is the closest thing you can get to, right, in terms of a guy catching passes out, out of the backfield that can run in between the tackles. Um, I, I think, like, maybe maybe we're looking at this as the, the end of last season is heavily influencing the way we feel about Pittsburgh and not necessarily the start. But for me, as much as I believe in guys coming back from injury and, and getting a full chance to be healthy, it, it's hard to do that at 38 and 39 uh, years old. And uh, it, I, I can't see things getting any better. Uh, I mean, this is health wise. But imagine if Joe Burrow had the weapons Roethlisberger had. We've been talking up like how talented this group is. They have so many good players. Bengals are getting close, but yeah. Steelers feel like they're either going to be 11 and six or six and 11. I buy that. Super fair. All right, we are rolling, boys. Halfway through, Mark, get us going with the Indianapolis Colts as we begin the AFC South. All right, you know I know like the Broncos are getting killed for not. picking a quarterback and we can get into that down the road but I, I look at the Colts and I ask myself coming out of the draft like is this team better than they were a year ago and like are the Colts um, being treated a little too lightly for a ignoring tackle in the draft we're killing Pittsburgh for that um, the Colts didn't fill that they have a huge issue there a burning need and also showing um, immense faith in Carson Wentz I, I have to ask if this is quietly the riskiest maneuver of any by any team in the AFC this offseason. After what we saw from Carson Wentz last year, it's, oh, you know, Frank Reich knows him. There's a good relationship. That's all nice in theory, but there's a lot of tape that suggests Carson Wentz was a disturbed um, quarterback last year in a lot of ways. But do we have any Wentz heads here that are saying, <laughs> you shut up. I totally have faith in this. We're going to get the old version of Wentz back in Indy. First of all, calling what Carson Wentz disturbed last year. I love that. Uh, second of all, I, oh, there's always been a little heat with Sessler and Carson Wentz because of way back when with the draft and the Browns. I've always enjoyed that. Um, third of all, all right, I'll be a little bit of a Wentz head here. We we have said for a couple of years now that Frank Reich was this this magical figure in Philadelphia, and once he left, things changed. Uh, well, now he's reunited with Frank Reich in, in Indianapolis, and 
Chris Ballard, the general manager, to me has earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, these two guys, Reich and Ballard, they are, they've had this organization going in the right direction for years now, and that's why I don't see this going terribly. I think they're just too smart uh, and they're just too locked in place as a football man for this thing to really go south. Does that mean it won't? No, but it, to me, they get the benefit of the doubt. You guys I, agree? I, I think, Mark, you, you hit it when you mentioned the risk, but my question is who's taking the risk? Because in this quarterback-centric world, uh, I, I don't think Ballard suffers consequences if there's this Wentz explosion. I don't think it's Reich. As Dan said, Like people believe in Frank Reich and they think he was the, the reason they won the Super Bowl. They kind of get a free experiment here. The only person taking any risk is Carson Wentz uh, because if it doesn't work out, then it's like, ah, well – I guess he's he's done. So like you could yeah, you could also argue that Andrew Luck put them in all in this situation to some degree too. But you're I I agree, but you're also potentially wasting a a good roster. I I think it is the biggest risk any team took. I think it's the most confounding decision of the offseason. Maybe they bring in Charles Leno who just got cut by the Bears. You know, their tackles might become available. You you would think they're not gonna go into the season with Sam Tevy. I'm much more concerned about Carson Wentz than I am about their left tackle. Situation. Man, does that nobody Wentz was so good in 2019? Is that that's just that's not even a factor here? Just one bad year. I was I good in 2019, anymore. but it's that's a long time. 2018, 2018. It, it's Six, been a minute, and five, four. Three, Wait, you didn't think Carson? I think the, ups, I think the upside is middle the of the pack in 2019. Pack. Am I am I getting my years confused there? No, you did. He was fine. He was fine. All right, I'm the Wentz head. Let's move on. The Tennessee Titans, Patrick Clayton. Uh They get uh, arguably the best corner in the in the draft per Charlie Casserly's polling uh, from last fall, right before Caleb Farley had the back surgery and the COVID and everything went bad for the draft. Um, and, and I think you see why that they went corner. Uh, the defense was really bad. They had some departures as well. But Derrick Henry, a transcendent season. He's, he's averaging almost five and a half yards per carry last year. Tannehill was good. A.J. Brown was good. Right. So Art Smith goes to Atlanta. They don't take an offensive skill position into the fourth round. Uh, but on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Bud Dupree comes over. They've got all these guys they've drafted. And I've started to wonder again, as I look through year after year in the Vrabel era, the defense is worse than it was the previous year. Uh, when do we start to wonder if Mike Vrabel is the problem well, with regards to the mm. defense in Tennessee? Well, I don't think he's shown to be a very good defensive coach. The Texans also had one of the worst defenses in the NFL when he was their coordinator before he got the the head coaching job. Like he, had, it's not about if it, it's not a, his scheme isn't going to save you. We've we've seen that. Maybe the talent hasn't been great either. They're they're the team. I hate to say it, Titans fans. Like if I had to pick a playoff team from a year ago that would fall off a cliff, here it is because. I just don't see the position group on this team where I, I look at it and say, there's our edge. There's where we're good. Where is, where is that for Tennessee? Other no, than Henry. Other I, than I think you're, if you're Todd Downing, the new play caller, you're, you're in a tough spot because you don't have the tools that Art Smith had. And, and you know, I look at the wide receiver position. The tight end position is a total mess right now. Um, I would peg, peg them as a team that maybe would go look at O.J. Howard and say, we need to find a, a, a more game-changing tight end than this. But I like Vrabel um, overall as head coach. I think he's given – we used to kill the Titans for having no identity. The Titans, we called them. They haven't been that under Vrabel. There's well, something Dan about did. his presence. I would never. I would never. No. Well, okay, except for Greg, who – Greg's like, too classy. I, please. The, so the ultra-classy classy Greg refused to, to <laughs> put that moniker on them. Vrabel has given them an identity. Hey, USA Today wrote an article about that, Greg. It was legitimized. They did? Yeah, go USA on. Today. <laughs> 
<laughs> go ahead, Greg. Uh, Mark, sorry. No, I'm, I, I, I just thumbs up on Vrabel because they've been a good team. But, you know, in terms of defensive difference maker, it's a fair point. That's fair. And, and I think what you're saying too, uh, Greg, is fair about the offense. Does it take a step back? Do we, if it's still a team with Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill, unless we buy into the theory, well, let's still not trust Tannehill because Arthur Smith's gone. Maybe he takes a step back. Because if he doesn't, I still feel like this team's going to score a lot of points. And if the defense gets even a tick better, I still see it as a double-digit win team. I, I don't. And yeah, that's a fair point on Tannehill. Maybe that's where the edge is. But he almost has to take a step back. Numbers, if you just look at the numbers, he's been a top five quarterback the last two years. It's a lot to expect. Unless he actually was all along and he got gased? I don't know. <laughs> Adam Gase. Where are you, Adam Gase? Time out. Time out. Where's Adam Gase? There we go. Do you think, do you think Adam Gase is even trying to get work right now? Or do you think he's just like, I'm just... Well, he's getting he, he's getting Jets money still, and it's it's significant. Why would he try to get work? Like, what about Adam Gase's re- recent career suggests he has to try to do anything? Uh, you think he to, can get a job? Yeah, he's just going to have to wait, uh, sit around, and then eventually uh, Adam Gase will be back in this league and probably head coach of a football team. Whoa! No, now that I would put sandwiches on. Yeah. I, I've been I've been watching this this planet for too long. I, I know that some <laughs> he, things are as certain as the tides in the moon. Clavon's right in in this in this uh, area, and, and it's unfortunate and it's it's an issue for the NFL that some guys get chances over and over, while other people don't get the opportunities they deserve. Uh, but I would think a two-time, and this is a little harsh, but two-time loser in Miami and New York <laughs> at, at a high level. I mean, imploding at a high level in his most recent stop, stock. Uh, I don't think he gets another head coaching job, but he'll probably show up as like a offensive quality control guy in Jacksonville or something. Next Assistant year something like to the head coach after, yeah. after he spends the offseason, you know, reading PFF and you know, hanging out with other former fired coaches. He I mean, my, to, one, the, my one concern would be Connor Orr once painted very meticulously the um, concept, um, you know, it's a bit of a conspiracy theory, but it starts to have legs that the Manning family has essentially run pro football for decades. <laughs> and so who's Adam Gase's like best pal? Peyton Manning gets on the phone with some sort of new weakish owner and just says, you're going to hire my friend. And then like suddenly Adam Gates has another head coaching job. That was my Peyton Manning voice. One more time. One more time. You're going to hire my friend. Like that's a Peyton Manning voice. Doesn't sound like him at all. It's like, a, but, it's a very sassy Peyton Manning. Well, he's you know? very agitated it's and like, annoyed. He doesn't like being attached to someone whose PR, um, you know, Q rating is not nosedive. So he's Peyton Manning needs to get him a job to help this whole thing. <laughs> was wow. that Peyton Manning or Delta Burke? I think I think back a little to bit the, of Delta Burke in there. The ESPN original film Junction Boys, where they took uh, they made the Bear Bryant a Kentucky movie, and they hired a bunch of Australians to play football players, and they did Southern accents. That's what <laughs> that's what I heard there, and it was spectacular. And that's b- my b- thespian capabilities. And before we come back from our timeout here, remember I'm out of the time. I've used two timeouts. I won't use the third. But if you go into the tunnel without using all your timeouts, you're a joke. Okay, just keep that in mind. What you fans have ever complained about coaches not using their timeouts? It's always a delight. I'm always like, I'm always no. at the when they get to an NBA game at the end, and there's like three timeouts left for each team, which never happens. But they, every once in a while, I'm like, thank you. And thank also, you for my family. Yeah. It's, who are you pegging it on? There's four of us that could call a timeout outside of Dan. So if mm. if one doesn't get called, 
I'll just deflect the criti- criticism right. towards Greg, towards Claybon, probably towards Ricky very effectively. How many times have you heard Chris Collinsworth or someone come after a coach? Oh, man, and, they, and they're unable uh, to stop the clock, and they go into the tunnel with timeouts in their pocket. This is Delta Burke. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's uh, time back in here. And uh, up next, the Houston Texans, Greg Rosenthal. I, I just want to point out how strange this team is. There's been, you know, an understandable amount of focus on Deshaun Watson's situation in the front office and them not having a draft pick till Davis Mills. Uh, I don't know if people know this. Philip Lindsay is on this team. Their backfield right now is David Johnson, Mark Ingram, and Philip Lindsay. That's weird. Uh, their receivers, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Andre Roberts. Did you guys know Lovey Smith is back in the NFL, and he is the defensive coordinator of the Texans? No. I, I know this room knows this, but I feel like the fans out there, they don't know all these facts. This is just a very strange team we're going to be watching here in 2021. Yeah, you you know what's interesting? They they they're famous for you know being asset poor um, and, and now talent deficient, and the Deshaun Watson mess, which changes changes everything. Um, I guess this makes sense if Watson doesn't end up playing for them one way or the other to just go in the tank, right? And and get back into uh, positive draft standing. Like I think they start getting first round picks back again next year, right? That the Tunsil deal finally tolls there. Um, this feels like a team that is ready to tear it all down. And that's tough for Houston fans because you thought you were going in a certain direction with Deshaun Watson. Uh, but it feels like it makes more sense now to strip the whole thing down. I mean, the unintentional tank, which is the normal way teams quote unquote tank. They didn't mean to, be the worst team in the league. They're just that's how they got. That's how they got. Even when they had Watson and JJ Watt, and you know they they always felt a little top heavy. I mean, how many years did we talk about them as a team that you know before the seventeen games could have gone five and eleven or eleven and five? And Watson made such a difference, but it is an unintentional tank. And like I, I, this, you know, this team looks absurd to me on paper. But it, it, I just wonder if you're the GM or the coach, are you really glad you took this job? That would be my question because I, I don't know from ownership on down where the support is here or the vision. It depends if ownership, and we know there's some murky stuff going on with the preacher, uh, but uh, if they let him um, truly b- Cali build this team, then that's that's good. But think about it. If you do trade Deshaun Watson, if that's how this ends, um, and again, it could go in a lot of different directions. Let's say you get a couple first-round picks. Let's say you go 1-16, you get the first-round pick. Maybe you come into next year with three first-round picks or something like that, and then you can begin like, all right, let's try this again. But, I mean, what do you do with, with the hope and the promise that, that those picks bring? Like we saw, and this is before we That's fair. knew about the, the circumstances surrounding Deshaun Watson and all of the accusers, and hopefully like somebody finds out what actually happens and we get some form of justice uh, through, through all of this. But it, it's what reason do we have to believe uh, that, that it's just not going to happen again, Nine. even if, this, even if Casario and company do assemble a promising team? But the executive vice president of football operations doesn't like slink in there and say, yeah, execute order 66. Yeah, that's rough. I got you there, Patrick. You could do a total reset. Yeah, I don't know. Total reset, and then this brain trust can foul it all. Scary times as Texans fans. All right, let's move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, All right, the great late Chris Wessling said it often. History is instructive. Everyone says Trevor Lawrence is Andrew Luck level good. All right, so then you go back in the history books. 
Colts went two and fourteen with Curtis Painter and company um, in two thousand eleven. Luck comes in. They go eleven and five. They're in the playoffs. The next year they win double digits again. They win a playoff game and they're off and running as a <laughs> AFC contender. Is 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 this a situation you see as as a possibility for the Jaguars this year? Uh, because I was looking at it, they had six games last year that they lost by one score or less, and they went in the tank totally in the last month of the season. But before that happened, uh, this team hung around in games. So if you had a high level quarterback, um, could they actually be a, a team playing for the postseason in December? I guess since uh, since Penny tried to, to answer your question prematurely, uh, Dan, I, I'm going to say <laughs> if I do believe it, uh, and, and I'm probably 51-49 that I do believe it, uh, it's going to wow. be because of the, the rest of the division. Uh, as we mentioned, the Texans could potentially Good be call. absolutely in the trough. Uh, the Titans' defense uh, couldn't stop anybody last year. And if there is, right, that, that little bit of boost that comes from a coach knowing what he wants to do and bringing in new people uh, that he gets to choose with somebody else's uh, holdovers, that, that they have some – Form of consistency we saw in Robinson, right, in the, in the running game and in some aspects of the defense uh, last year. Yeah, I, I think it could happen. I, I think Trevor Lawrence uh, does bring some some unique skills that that nobody else uh, could bring in terms of the total package, right? The arm, uh, the ability to you know to to make plays with his feet as well. So so yeah, why not? I guess I'd like to see because you know when's the last time Urban Meyer had a season where everything went wrong? I mean, it's just like you know, 12, 13 win seasons and bowl games all left and right for like a thousand years in a row. I mean, if they get out to a really rough start for some reason, um, I just would like to observe how he handles that. It's a totally different situation than he's been in. And, you know, the no matter who you are as a college coach, I mean, Nick Saban learned this, that the pro game is totally different. And, and, and you know, the Urban Myers talked about having to um, retrain himself to even think about something like the NFL draft. But point being, I think that they've got, if he works, um, an interesting coach, uh, a great quarterback. And you're right, Dan, like they were a tough out in games last year. They were not getting handled week after week. They were still a bad team, but they've transformed this roster, at least with a ton of bodies. There's a ton of new people here. And if Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, good night. Like they can you, easily win nine games. I'll tell you what, I'll set the over-under here for wins for the 2021 Jaguars at eight and a half. Oh I'm God. banging the over. I am too. What? I'm banging it, Greg. Why not? I love Claybound's point about the division they play in, too. Yeah, that's fine. But then win the division with eight, eight wins or On a last-place schedule that's, for out-of-conference. That, I get it. But they also took a lot of risk in this draft, for instance. They take a guy in ETN, like they, they say is going to be their third-round pick. They take my son's new favorite player, Walker Little. Uh, he says he's rooting for the uh, Jaguars now. He hasn't played in two years. Uh, they, they're moving... Tyson Campbell at the top of the second round to slot corner. Never play that position. Took a guy who missed all of the last season in the third round. Like, I got to see it, man. Low expectations. Greg, you also say that it's like not hard for teams to go seven and nine. So it's like you can't have win six games. Everyone should be happy if they win six or seven games. I'm banging the over. We don't know who the team of ATN will be, but we know who the team of Etienne is. It's the Jaguars. (laughs) Dad joke. All right. Nailed it. Final division. The Denver Broncos, Mark Sessler. I the find team this of is, Etienne. This is one of the tougher teams to evaluate right now because we just don't know um, where we're going to be down the road. Are they going to go get a quarterback? If they don't, if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, like then they're the team that is going to be tough. It's going to be tough press. Um, Broncos fans, I lived in Denver, are super passionate and they are on fire about the fact that you passed up 
the chance to put Justin Fields into a really awesome looking offense that right now your front office, that's basically saying our, our like vision to battle Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert inside our division is to roll out Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater patches, middle of the road guys. Um, one of them who's proven nothing. So I just can't believe that that's how a front office actually thinks in 2021, especially with one attached to John Elway, always looking for quarterbacks. Um, the way that they organize their draft, I like Patrick Sertain, um, but the way they organize their draft makes me think that they think they can get Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think this story mm. is over. I would just wonder, is this a bunch of hogwash? I know it's the most obvious question for the Broncos, but come September, is Rodgers in orange or is that a pipe dream and they're stuck with Drew or Teddy? I think it's a pipe dream because they think it's a pipe dream. I read that Mike Silver article about their you know, draft and the second the Packers were like, we're not even going to listen. You know, they had to move on. What motivation do the Packers have to take anything before the start of this season when the primary thing they can get is draft picks, which they can get next year? Like, unless you're sending me Bradley Chubb and Cortland Sutton, what what is going to help the Packers this year? And then that would ruin, you know, the, that would hurt the Broncos team. The most interesting thing in that article, I thought, was one line where it said Teddy Bridgewater is the presumptive starter. And Silver doesn't write that for nothing. That's what the, the front office thinks. That to- That told me a lot. I'm surprised. Uh, it's a great opportunity for Teddy Bridgewater. Certainly, I know we've been through this before, but wow, the, these these weapons around him are incredible. I think they're thinking he can be our Alex Smith in Kansas City. Whether they're right or not, you know, the Panthers weren't right about it. But it's I think it's not Drew Locke. I think it's Teddy Bridgewater based on that one line. I think, like, we heard from George Payton leading up to the draft just about how much they were looking at quarterbacks and how invested they were in the quarterback search. And like, oh, yeah, we believe in Drew Locke, too. And it's like, both things can't be true. No. My dog. Um, <laughs> right. And so, like, Mark, to answer your question about, like, A-Rodge, like, if if they were in, in pursuit of Aaron Rodgers, would taking Justin Fields could only help uh, in that, right? Uh, they would have, because we saw it with Chicago, right? They would have had Russell Wilson if they had a quarterback to give to Seattle to say, okay, this is your future, but they didn't have one. Um, so th- I think they're out, honestly. I think if, if the move was to be made, then they would have made it. So It'll be next year. Maybe they're in next year, but I don't see anyone – that makes a lot of sense this year. I just don't I can't think this organization—they have no idea what to do with the quarterback Seven, position. Eight, How do you come out of this with all the trade five, movement and the four, rookie prospects, three, and, and you two, realize Drew Locke's not one. the quarterback? Congratulations on that. That's easy. And then you come out and say Teddy Bridgewater is our backup. Uh, it's it's unbelievable what? to me. Teddy comeback season, yeah, 2021. It, yeah, it's back. not over. I'm I can't Greg, believe he's Greg, getting a better. He's getting a better chance. It is literally time the most right annoying now. thing on our podcast. It is literally the most annoying thing on our podcast. I mean, go ahead, the, no, the, the you and Ted, the you and Teddy thing, and like he's proving he's proving your argument wrong year after year. That's he, fair. he really has. Last year. He made major mistakes in crucial situations, which were red zone and fourth quarter, which is which is important. He was a pretty productive, like lower it, it to middle of the road. It just feels like passer, an agenda certainly. because he's not being like let's it's grade him for I like what players. he is. He's a totally, like, it's middle the way of the Dan overrates the Jets every year. Like I like certain players and I root for them. That's why, why am I, I catching sniper team. fire on this? Why don't you, if you're fighting with Mark? Yeah, say something nasty about Mark. Don't right, bring it's me not nasty. Him. I'm saying like, I, there, of course, there's players I root for. He's a likable person who, to me, had had a has a more fun style than people think. That I thought had a chance. He he's obviously a middle Greg, of the road smart. starting you're too smart quarterback football guy to, to factor in that he's a nice guy. We all know Teddy's a great teammate and a nice guy. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't affect how I root for him. And he has been like 
significantly better than Drew Locke has ever been at multiple points in his career, including when he was with George Payton. That's kind of true of almost every in starter Minnesota. in the league, though. That isn't right. really an argument for Teddy Bridgewater is your answer. That's all. It, they, it's they had just Justin an argument Fields for sitting in their lap, and they said we'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater and or Drew Locke. I killed I them. Find that I killed beguiling. them for that. I killed them for that. All I'm saying is I'm recognizing the situation where they are right now. And Teddy is their best chance to start games, and he is their best chance. Like, whether you like it or not, he's going to be starting games this year. I guess my point point is there were better options than Teddy to upgrade from Drew Locke. Maybe he's an upgrade over Locke, uh, but from what we've seen, is he going to be a huge upgrade? They didn't prioritize it. They didn't, because even then they're paying him. How do you not prioritize the quarterback position in the NFL? I'm surprised. Who are the better options right now? Well, now the horse is out of the barn. I think I think that's ultimately Greg's point, right? It's it, it's got to be Teddy, and, and we saw a a new offense, right? A first team, a first year for that offense, and Teddy Bridgewater in his first year in that offense. Um, I, I you know, he's not going to get like a sustained chance to be somewhere for for long, but I would like to see Teddy Bridgewater to have an opportunity to grow in an offense. Right? The Packers were bailing on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to the Hall of Fame, right? Well, they were bailing like, on Aaron Rodgers after here's, the first year in a new here's offense. A, here's what bugs ahead, me: Mark. the timing of it. Okay, look at. You could have traded for Teddy Bridgewater after you didn't get the quarterback in the draft. If you're, tra- if you're trying to tell me that the way to galvanize your fan base and your own offense is to say that our, it's smarter to trade for Teddy Bridgewater days before the draft and then pass on Justin Fields, who lands in our lap, who is undoubtedly, I think, to the common eye or the analytical eye, more exciting. We all wanted that. I, right. we all, I wanted that. How, there's no defending well, the Broncos. And to, they totally and to, botched no this. Claybon. Claybon, to your point, the Panthers wanted Teddy Bridgewater to have an extended stay in Carolina. Look at the contract they gave him. They they set him up with a great offensive head coach and Matt Rule. He, they didn't like they didn't like what he brought to the table, and they said we got we're getting rid of him. Like he, he had a he, chance there. He he moved the ball very well and was a disaster in high leverage situations in the red zone in the fourth quarter. Well, like, but you yeah, say that as if it's a positive when you're no, analyzing I don't, the game. But it, like if if let's put it this way, if Teddy Bridgewater even gave them. The offense passing wise that the Panthers had last year, last year's Broncos would have gone to the playoffs. They were they were like 18th, 19th in DVOA in terms of passing. The Broncos were 30th, and that's that's sort of the thing they're hoping for is to be middle of the road. Teddy's good theater on this podcast. The Panthers, I like it. Right. the Panthers chose Sam. Right, Matt Rule has had like big right. bejeweled eyes for Sam, like floating in the air, wafting after Sam since the the initial flirtation with the Jets. I, I think that was they were done with Teddy, regardless. Yeah. Though to to be fair, they they the way the season ended with him playing his worst in uh, December, they decided, uh, and I think they're making a mistake by the way picking up Darnold's contract. Uh, you know, for 2022, like why make a two year commitment when you just made a huge unforced error? No one was giving Teddy Bridgewater two years, big money guaranteed. No one. And they just gave the second year for no reason. And they're doing the exact same thing with Darnold. No one was giving Darnold this kind of contract with two years guaranteed. And they're doing it again. Hey, by the way, watch out, Greg, you got the Sessler eyes came out there for you at one point when you were Wax and poetic. But I get yeah. it. He doesn't like Teddy. I I, I, I enjoy like watching Teddy being football by having inflated that I root for enough what? with inflating Teddy. No like, one, no one, just... no one was saying anything. No one Greg was saying was, Mark, this will make you feel starter. better. Greg was proven wrong once about Teddy Bridgewater. It will happen once again in 2021. We'll see. We'll see. Now I got to have to <laughs> rally the troops. Teddy Nation coming right, back strong. Well. All right. Time in uh, the Los Angeles Superchargers. Patrick Claybaugh. 
All right, so hope always seems to come back uh, with regards to fan bases and beliefs to this quarterback thing. And from what we saw in 2020, there's a lot of reason to feel great about it. Like we had people describing Trevor Lawrence as as Justin Herbert plus. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as much as that could be a slight to Justin Herbert, seeing as he did it at the professional level, uh, I think it speaks to, to how people feel about him. And, you know, if, prior to, if prioritizing continuity uh, for an offense and a quarterback that seemed promising – is a way to go. It, it seems weird that the the people behind that progress are now elsewhere in Los Angeles, uh, or not in Los Angeles. They're just elsewhere in general. But um, anyway, my correct my question surrounds the, the the head coach, right, and the man that that that's own players have classified as a as a genius. Um, so he's got two players in Los Angeles who I would argue are singularly talented, uh, with regards to the rest of the league. That was the foundation of a defense. Um, in in and one of them I think is going to the, the hall of fame and Aaron Donald, right. And then there's Jalen Ramsey. So now uh, can he do similar things on this defense using Derwin James perhaps and Joey Bosa, or does he need uh, that high level talent to be successful? Mm. Well, those are two potential hall of famers too. I know it's a long, long, long way to go. And Derwin James has to stay healthy. That's like the key to this team to me, but those are two of the very best at what they do. The hype is back. I'm buying in the first two picks. The chargers had filled huge needs with their tackle. And then Asante Samuel in the second round, like I'm, I'm buying in. Cause I would take Justin Herbert over Trevor Lawrence in a second. I would take Justin Herbert over every single young quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's to me, that's where Justin Herbert is. It's in, it's not a hard decision for me. I, I just, so the hype should be huge. Everything that I've read about Brandon Staley, everything I've seen, I mean, this is my version of Greg's Teddy Bridgewater. This happens to me with coaches where he's not coached a game, and I couldn't be more excited about um, the head coach there. I think it changes a lot. And a lot of the issues with the Chargers have been these bizarre sort of like anti-mystical end-of-game meltdowns with time and kickers missing field goals, all this stuff. I think Brandon Staley is the kind of guy um, who is like bathed in details. I think that stuff's going to go away. I just do. And I think you're going to see him be able to coach up that defense in a way he did with the Rams. And I think Derwin James, if he had been healthy this whole time, uh, would be viewed as like a top five player in the league. But he's just his career's gone south. It's it's unfortunate, and it's you know, Greg, you mentioned Hall of Fame. Yes, that that was a rookie season at a Hall of Fame level, but he hasn't he hasn't played in what two years basically now. Um, so they need him to come back, and you just have to hope with the injuries that he suffered that he doesn't come back and he's a compromised version of what we saw uh, back in 2018. But he does seem like a linchpin. Mark, I know, is Brendan Staley, has he toppled Matt Rule in your head coach uh, crush power rankings? I feel like Matt's going to start getting je- jealous a little bit here. No, I've got a lot of crushes. I mean, it's Shanahan, it's Rule, it's Staley, and they're vying for my affections. It's their job, not mine. Four, three. I like the idea of the image of them all standing in line to talk to you with flowers. Chocolate. Well, the one time we spoke with Matt Rule, Greg buried We're us. We're out of timeouts. We're well, out of timeouts. That was a good story, but I'll say that. <laughs> it's been told on the podcast like five times. I'll tell it five more. <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders, Greg Rosenthal. See, that's where I'm using my time. That's where the animosity might come from with Teddy. It was a sore spot here. Because, um, you know, this I, is I cheating made, a little bit. I made Mark look back. This is a little bit of cheating. <laughs> I'm worried about the Raiders because I, I think a strong case could be made that the two most important people in their organization this year are Gus Bradley and Tom Cable. They're putting a lot of faith in those two guys because otherwise I don't see it. Like you're counting on Tom Cable to coach up this offensive line. There's only one new starter 
The, I mean, the two guys that are elevating, like, they know those two, Denzel Good, and I forget the other one off the top of my head, but, like, they've been there. There's only one guy that wasn't with the team. And then they've poured all these draft picks and all this free agent money into the defense. But ultimately, it's like Gus Bradley just has to be way better than what they were doing before, or else I, there's not much reason to think this team will be any better. I mean, Gus Bradley needs to be better than Gus Bradley. Uh, that's that's sort of the problem. He's not, you know, he keeps getting kind of keep getting jobs, but, like, his defenses have not been marvelous by any stretch. I mean, of the, the players and he's a, he's a DC. There's only so much you could do. Like sometimes I wonder what these DCs and even the coordinators, uh, most of them anyway, it's like they, if you don't give them the guys to play with, if you don't give them the chess pieces, there's only so much you could do. And you, a lot of that I think goes back to this front office and, and the draft stuff gets a little annoying to me. And I did power rankings this week, so I do a lot of reading and trying to learn about some different things. And you see all these grades, and they're all over the map. But there are certain teams that every analyst feels safe just banging with an F. And, and that's where the Raiders are right now, uh, that everything they do is viewed as bad. But until some of these like unorthodox picks hits, uh, you understand why they're not being given the benefit of the doubt. And I think uh, I, I remembered back to there was an old clip of the Seahawks uh, drafting James Carpenter in the first round, and there was a shot of Nick Saban in the crowd going, James Carpenter got drafted in the first round? <laughs> right, and, and that was kind of everybody's reaction uh, to Alex Leatherwood, who can be a solid player, right? He started a lot of games uh, for, for a team that when he was there won a couple of national championships. Minute. But um, it's, it's a question of value in, in, at some point, right? Um, as, Dan, you mentioned the personnel and – whether it's a coordinator, whether it's personnel, uh, it's it's just not working, um, and so they're they're going to need to stop somebody. Um, and but they they took one of their greatest strengths in their offensive line and decimated it to the point where they needed to to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, and then they reached like the, the one Raiders got. It feels like they got worse this offseason, doesn't it? Yeah, it? yeah. It's like, they, so they, they were the seventh happening? best passing attack a year ago, but that also requires you know Carr to be protected. When we've seen Carr when he's not protected well, it's a whole different situation, and I. I I don't know what you look at that team and say the strength is. They're, they're out-of-the-box thinkers, but there's too, much, too many out-of-the-box picks that have not worked. That's why people attack it. If you have a track record of thinking Ten, differently nine, and it works, everyone's eight, like, well, these guys are just seven, smarter. That's not how six, they're viewed right now. So the PR five, five, fight four, is legit. Three, three two, one. We close with the defending AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs couldn't protect Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and they got their heinies whipped as a result. Um, and I just have so much respect for Brett Beach and that organization, a little bit jealous, that they they said, this is a need, and we could have waited, because uh, part of the reason they got destroyed in the Super Bowl is they weren't healthy on the offensive line. It wasn't just that these guys couldn't play. They were missing their tackles, and it was just everything was, uh, they were missing some interior guys. It was just kind of patchwork. So they could have said, Let's get healthy. Let's bring back our guys, get healthy, and go for it again. So I respect that they just said, no, we want to make this a team strength again. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, you bring Kyle Long out of retirement. We'll see how that goes. But in theory, um, it, it makes sense. Creed Humphrey, they took with the 63rd overall pick. Everybody's saying he's going to be awesome in the pivot. Um, <laughs> so I look at this team. They took this week. This turned it into a strength. Uh, and I look at a 17-game season, how are they not a 13-plus win team? And how is anyone else going to contend for that top seed in the AFC? I just think they're the heavy favorite in the AFC mm. after what they've done. I mean, let's not forget, they put up 38 points weeks earlier against the Bills. It was that The Super Bowl was, it couldn't have 
gone better for the Bucks, who were a worthy Super Bowl champion. But there was an obvious Achilles heel to what Kansas City wanted to do with, you know, their protection not there, not on the field. I, I, you know, it's kind of funny because I look back on all the Super Bowl um, preview coverage, not just our show, but everyone's show. And it's just like not enough. I don't remember anyone being like the Chiefs are screwed because they have both of their tackles out. It was just like Tyreek Hill, you know, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. And it's like it doesn't work with three linemen. And they totally patched. I think Orlando Brown was an awesome signing by or an awesome trade by them. I mean, it just again, it turned it into a strength, like you said. Dan. And remember, they the, their offseason began being rebuffed to get Trent Williams. So it wasn't like everything fell into place. They had to regroup after that, and they still managed to get the job done. I think I, I'm with you that they're the favorites. To me, they're always going to be the favorites unless things go really poorly uh, building their roster. But they didn't have the right tackle all last season, and they were still the best or one of the best offenses in the league. It, so that that position's kind of the same. The offensive line has to come together. I, I always say this, but they're like it's like a bullpen. It's really hard to predict what's going to be good or not, especially if the guys have not played together. They put every ounce of investment. They're a little thinner at the skill groups now. Like, they they rely on Kelsey and Tyreek Hill so much. They're a little thinner now than they are in years past. So that, that's just something to watch if either one of those guys got hurt. I think they're banking, obviously, on Mahomes' greatness uh, covering yeah. up that flaw. And, and uh, they should uh, because, he's, yeah. because he's great. But I, I think back to a Panthers team, right, that started Mike Rimmers in the Super Bowl, and then he just got undressed by Von Miller, which Von Miller undresses a lot of people. But then Mike Rimmer started 16 games the next year. And it's just like you address, right? You well, you know who they're right. You know who the Chiefs' right Seven, tackle is right now? Six. It doesn't happen. Put it all together. It's Four, Mike Rimmer. But three, my, my thinking is two, it's not going to be the one. whole season, right? Rim they, dog. They, they saw a problem, and I think they addressed it. And that's what you want for a team that has a, you know, a really good quarterback. We just went around the AFC in exactly 48 minutes. <laughs> and don't don't even bother yeah. doing the math yourself. Just assume that's what happened. Good trust work, us. Everybody. Just trust us with the clock. We know we we've nailed that. I'm I feel like we made our way. listeners smarter uh, today. Yeah. I think they're going to really take this information and uh, sitting around a, a fire pit or uh, socially distance at their favorite pub. They're going to hit their friends with a little bit of knowledge on uh, some of these teams, and the friends are going to be like wow, this guy's cool, and then a girl's going to hear it and be like, whoa, I want to bed that man right. for his knowledge. I, I feel like that's what's happening here coming out of today's episode. What a service that we're offering yeah. the listener if all those things do happen. Yeah, we've created humans today uh, just, just in that, <laughs> in linking up those two people. Yeah. And we also use the timeouts well. I got to say, you know, the, the Teddy timeout, um, well, you know, well-earned uh, and well-used, definitely better than the Panthers were in the fourth quarters last year. Uh, just close strong. <laughs> Mark, I'll give you uh, a final thought on the Teddy situation. <laughs> no, well, that's the great thing about football is that, you know, if I, I, always, I just assume Teddy Bridgewater is listening to this episode. I just assume that. Um, and he's going to say, the one guy always seems to be sticking up for me, um, partly because I'm nice. And uh, the other guy seems to always be getting on my case. It's like I have a chip on my shoulder, as they say now, to like go prove to that, that one mouthy negative guy that I can play. Mm. So, you know, we've done a service for you, him too. Now he's you are like the motivation. Brian, you're the Brian Gutekunst to uh, Teddy's Aaron Rodgers this year. <laughs> and there is incorrect parallel. <laughs> and there is the, the background there is that Matt rule is on our show at the height of Mark's crust for rule. And then he believes that Greg kind of threw him under the bus a little bit mm. about Teddy Bridgewater. 
Uh, and I think I, there's a lot of that is based in. Oh, okay. Wait, so it's Maybe not that, that I believe where, that. Yeah. That's exactly what. That's factually what right. happened. Greg. Well, so so that, has that made you concerned about your boys, you know, talent evaluation? Because otherwise, you have like sort of beliefs that are clashing here. Uh, they were stuck. I think that you know, like they showed us. <laughs> they showed us. They were stuck. They were just stuck. But Matt Rule, um, <laughs> it started. The crush started because he came up to me, Dan, that wonderful night at the combine in the yes. snow. And we walked into a wonderful, you know, hotel tavern and he walked right up and just said, good to meet you. I'm Matt Rule. And I was like, that's all it takes. I am absolutely in love with this person from now until the end of time. So his decisions are honorable and correct every time. To to anybody who's a fan of verbal discussions, uh, I hope they noticed the way that Greg took that criticism and then turned it into a mirror and tried to redirect it at Mark as if to <laughs> absolve himself of any particular wrongdoing. It, it well, just, welcome it, to every episode. <laughs> it's <just> artful. <laughs> all right. We'll be back Thursday. Patrick, thank you. As thank always, you you've said it all and you've done it all. And uh, we appreciate your help. Um, on Thursday, uh, Steve Weish will join us uh, to break down the NFC in 48 Minutes. And um, we thank you. Ricky, you have anything you wanted to add before we Yeah, just before we go to the listeners, especially the males, it's not going to get a girl in bed with you if you're just like <laughs> mansplaining football at her. That's like the worst thing you can no, do. No, 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 no. Okay. Just want to say that. Time out. Time out because I know where you're trying to go with this. I wasn't saying that he was mansplaining to the woman and then she was so taken aback. She's like, where's your apartment? We got to go. I was saying he was in conversation with his buddies and then she was at the next table over, and she was so impressed by this information. Exactly, she's because like, "Oh, she knew a lot too." She's like, she "Oh, did. he knows his stuff." Exactly, she's because thinking, women he, can know right. just as much about football as men. Gotcha. Wow. Turn that mirror around, baby. Yep. Yeah, I, I, and I've learned, Ricky. yeah, like displaying sports knowledge. Nothing gets the opposite sex more excited <laughs> about than that. All right, That's Greg it. needs to get out more. It does work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back Thursday, as I said, with Steve Weiss breaking down the NFC. Um, until then, this is Dan Hansa signing off for Patrick Claibon, The Quiet Storm, The Old Boss, Ricky Hollywood. Until then, heed the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.